forward. Now's your chance. Shane, yes, perfect. Why don't you come and sit in the front row, Shane? No. Disobedient. Grab a Bible, guys. Turn to John chapter 2. It's a book in the New Testament, second half. Page 2005. <coughs> Which doesn't exist, sorry. Page 1005. I've written a whole new Bible. When it's released, there'll be two, a thousand more pages. At page 1005, John chapter 2. Sorry, Hannah's brought her own paper Bible. I like that. And we're continuing our series in a little Lent series, uh, looking at a few issues that are big challenges for us all in the Christian life. Um, last week, Tim looked at gold, uh, the challenge that money is for where we put our trust, where we put our security, what's our faith in. Uh, so we looked at gold last week. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, girls slash guys, uh, relationships, that whole area. <coughs> we're also going to look at glory, uh, the whole issue of ambition. And today I am looking at grog, which uh, <laughs> anyone, put a hand in the air if you're not familiar with that word. We want to assure you, it, oh good, it does exist. Uh, it was a, it, it's a word that covers any alcoholic beverage, uh, but it was actually made of water and rum back in the 18th century. Anyway, that's enough of, about grog. Let's look at John 2 together. A very familiar story. <coughs> On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. That's pretty good advice for life. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some, some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the wine that had been turned in the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Let's keep that open because we're going to be looking at it and let's pray together as we start. <coughs> Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this record of your very first miracle. And all that it tells us about who you are and what you've come to do in our lives. And we ask tonight for the help of your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. 
Open our minds to understand, our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in preparation for um, tonight's uh, talk, I <coughs> did a bit of research online and I stumbled on a Daily Mail article, that reputable uh, paper, back from 2015, which said this, some stunning statistics. Uh, it said, British people drink almost 15,000 pints of beer and over 3,200 bottles of wine every minute. Every minute. That's 247 pints and 232 glasses of wine every second. Isn't that amazing? Every second. 250. 500. You get the idea. It's fair to say we love a drink in this country. Indeed, that's where most people are. If we consider the church uh, landscape, as it were, around the UK, northeast, southwest, church is struggling for people, struggling to find members to fill the pews. Where are they? 5% turning up to any sort of church service on a Sunday of any denomination. 95% elsewhere. Well, they're in the bars. They're in the clubs. They're in the pubs, if they're any good. <laughs> Partaking of what those places offer. You look at the places around here, you look at the white horse on a busy Saturday afternoon. Is it struggling for people? Is it wondering where all the punters are? No. It's packed to the gunnels. Why is that? Well, you could say that it's just because people don't believe anymore. They don't believe the gospel. Yeah? Or you could say, well, the pub is fun. It's something to do. It's community. Yes. But what I want to say tonight is I actually think there's something deeper going on with this. Because I think those statistics and where personnel are pub versus church, I think that reveals a very real difference of opinion over the simple question of where we go to find joy. Where do we go for gladness? Because isn't that what we all want at the end of the day? Isn't that what the world is looking for? And when it comes to meeting that need, it's a competitive marketplace, isn't it? There are lots of products on offer. And wine, well, that gets top billing. So what is Christianity, what does the Bible have to say about wine? We're going to be looking at quite a bit of stuff tonight. And we're going to start there with the Bible's view on alcohol, on wine. The good news is that fundamentally, the Bible is positive about wine. It says that wine is a blessing. Psalm 104 verse 15 says this, God gives wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine and bread that sustains their hearts. We all experience that, don't we? We, we all know what it is to just get home after a, a busy day at work or something, pour yourself an, a delicious glass of red wine, white wine, whatever your tipple is, or on a summer's day, a hot day, have a nice cold pint of lager, whatever it is. We know the gladness that it can bring. Just a couple of days ago, I was sharing a, a particularly, I, I, I pushed the boat out a bit. I bought a £9.50 bottle of red wine to, to drink with friends. It was delicious. 
I didn't realize neither of them were actually drinking, so uh, I was slightly on my own. But we know what it is for wine to gladden our hearts. That's what the Bible says it is. It is a blessing. It says, when the Lord blesses his people, your vats will overflow. It says of wine that it will be there in heaven. Isaiah 25 verse 6 says, on this mountain, speaking about the future, a day to come, on this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines, the best of meats, and the choicest of wines. Jesus himself says that he will drink wine with his disciples in the age to come. Wine is a blessing from God. That's how the Bible sees it. There's no doubt about it. It's a good gift given by God to be enjoyed. But you see, that's where the trouble starts. Because it is so readily available, and because it is so easily experienced as a source of joy and gladness, all we need to do is open a bottle or pull a lever to get a pint, it can become something in our lives that it was never designed to be. And the Bible warns us against that. The Bible speaks very negatively against drunkenness. It speaks positively about drink and wine to be enjoyed responsibly. It speaks negatively against drunkenness. It has some strong things to say. I mean, Proverbs 21 says this, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Now look, we're an open, honest family here. I just want to show of hands, but if there's been, I'm not asking for like, yes, you know, I was hammered drunk. But if you've had a moment where you just know you've had something that you regret, something you said, something you did, something you looked at, and you know it's because you drunk even just a little bit too much. Just give me a wave. If there's anything you've regretted in the past, yes, there it is. The evidence speaks for itself. We know this to be true. The Bible warns about it. It doesn't always lead to a path of wisdom. It also describes in the scriptures, describes the reality, the kickback that wine and alcohol can have. Proverbs 23 says this, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It's a bit dark tonight. I can't quite see. Those who linger over wine. Those who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. The passage goes on. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end... It bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. I won't ask for a show of hands as to who's experienced that. The truth is we probably all have. This is the Bible describing a hangover, isn't it? I mean, just the relevance of tonight's message is brought home. Speaking to a girl just before the service tonight, telling her what I was speaking on. She was uh, open, honest enough, which we love, vulnerability. Uh, remain nameless. Uh, open enough to, to confess that when she first turned up here, a little over a year ago, her very first time here, on a Sunday morning, she was so hungover, she puked in the, in the loo at the back of church. We had a little moment where I was like, oh gosh, well, you know, let's, let's try not to do that again. Especially since, <laughs> especially since we've only got one loo. 
it's that, mo that moment that she began to celebrate the Living Space project where we will be building new loos. I was like, that's not quite the idea. Uh, she did, thankfully, say that was the last time she was that drunk. So hopefully we're doing something right. But this is relevant, isn't it? To all of our lives. Drink has a bite. It bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. You don't need me to tell you how dangerous it is. Yes, it's a blessing. Yes, it is to be enjoyed. I mean, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We are to be producing life, grapes. It's a good thing. But there's another side to the coin. And you don't need me to tell you how much damage it does in society. How many homes are torn apart. How many families break down. How many marriages come to an end for one reason or another. Because of alcohol abuse. In America alone, every year there are 88,000 deaths because of alcohol abuse. At a cost of $249 billion. Vast amounts. The Bible is negative about this stuff. It warns us not to lean that way. We can all have our moments. I remember speaking to uh, St. Dee's lad just last week. He says, sometimes when he's had a particularly tough day at work, he'll go home, he'll stick the TV on, he'll pour, him, pour himself half a glass of whiskey, and he'll just sit there sipping it. Just to calm down. Just to bring himself a sense of peace. It's real, it's there for all of us, isn't it? And the Bible, God warns us about it. But it reserves its strongest words for what it would call the drunkard. Or the person who would pursue and persevere in drunkenness. Saying that that person is to be put alongside the idolater. Or the sexually immoral. And it says in 1 Corinthians 6 that the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, you're like, what? Seriously? That's quite strong stuff. What is the Lord's big issue with it? Why is it such a big thing? Well, I particularly just, just now want to focus on that idea of drunkenness. Not just enjoying a glass of wine, a pint of beer. Not even just occasionally getting it wrong as followers of Jesus. But a life that's perhaps separate to Christ. The life of the world that does not have this faith in the creator, in God, and therefore puts its faith in other things. Because that's why I think God is so serious about drink and about those who would persistently seek it and drink to get drunk. Because I think what that is revealing is a far more serious sin. And it's actually the sin of idolatry. Just come with me for a little bit. Remember last week, Tim mentioned that idolatry is anything we look to. An idol is anything we look to, to give us what only God can give us. And an idol is anything good that becomes a God thing. A good thing becoming a God thing. We've seen that wine is a good created gift, given to be enjoyed with thanks and in the presence of our creator. But what happens when a society has forgotten that very same creator? Where do they go then? Where do they look for joy, for gladness? 
Well, the only place they can, in the created order, in created gifts, in created things, in consuming them to satisfy their needs, to fulfill their desires, to bring them joy. Human beings are experts at this. I mean, we can turn anything into something to find joy, thinking we'll find life there. We can become addicted to anything, can't we? I mean, the latest one is, is social media. Anyone else struggle with that? I mean, this Lent, I've given up. So it feels so good. To, you know, not last thing at night, not first thing in the morning, to be getting on the dreaded sort of four-inch screen, sort of scrolling, scrolling ever downwards, thinking like, I'm sure I'm about to find life here somewhere. I just keep going down and down and down into the depths of despair. It's horrid. It's so nice to be free of it. All addiction takes us to that place. That's just Facebook or other social media, let alone alcohol, which science has proven impacts us physiologically and psychologically. It's also doing some more research this week. I was reading National Geographic. Remember that magazine? I've had a very cultured week, um, which this month is all about booze. In front, the front cover, it says booze. It's dedicated to booze. And it says this, from our modern point of view, ethanol has one very compelling property. It makes us feel good. Ethanol helps release serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins in the brain. Chemicals that make us happy and less anxious. Isn't that what we're all looking for? Isn't that what the world outside these metaphorical four walls are looking for? one way or another. You see, I think that's what's really going on in the pub over there, in the White Horse, or the Duke on the Green, or the clubs on the King's Road. That's part of what's going on. Yes, there's, there's drinking, there's eating, there's chatting, there's lots of good things. But isn't there something deeper, too? Could you not say that church is taking place? just in a different place, with a different spirit. You see, as we see, man's goal is the same the world over. It's to be happy. It's to find joy. It's to have community. We might even want to, to sing a little. You know, when we're really happy, we sing, don't we? We want to feel confident in ourselves, confident enough to come out of ourselves and be known, to be vulnerable. In other words, everything that we should look for and receive here in church. Everything that is the promise and inheritance to each one of us as the children of God, these good gifts, freedom, life, abundance, joy, connection, and yet also things that alcohol, this counterfeit God, would claim to offer the world whilst forgetting the Creator of that gift. So the guy in the pint, he, he gets to the bar and he orders a pint of lager, but isn't part of what he's ordering, part of what he's really hoping for, reaching for when he takes that glass, a pint of hope, a pint of joy? Or, I don't know, the, the lady, very dangerous ground here, but I don't want to generalize, but you know, he orders a glass of Chardonnay. Uh, I don't know. Isn't she really 
in part after a sense of peace, a sense of confidence, a sense of connection with others. All these things can be byproducts, part of the blessing of the fruit of the vine that we enjoy, but which we can come to depend on too much in the absence of knowing our creator. That's the state of play for the world out there that doesn't know the grace, the goodness, the love, the generosity of God as we do. And so they look for it elsewhere. There's nothing like a pint or a glass of wine, is there, to sort of help us feel more relaxed, lower our walls a bit, connect, be vulnerable. I mean, I'm sure we all know people have friends who they've shared stuff with us on a night out when they've had one too many that they wouldn't dream of sharing in the sober light of day. Yeah? You have that friend? It's a counterfeit. It's offering what church is meant to offer. Get enough drinks in them, they'll even sing. Well, come here, sing. Lower the walls here. Connect. Have community. Be known. Be filled with joy. Choose the authentic route. That's what we're saying. But alcohol holds out a different invitation. Is it any wonder that it's thriving in the West? It's the promise of life in a glass or gladness on tap or joy in a bottle. You see, that's why I think God hates drunkenness so much or those who operate their life with no regard to him and put their trust solely in one of his gifts, one of his creations. They put their trust there that that will give them what they need, what they're looking for. It's just another form of idolatry. Somewhere we go for joy, for connection, for comfort, when God simply wants us to come to him. And this is where the world is, and this is where your friends are, your colleagues are, perhaps your family, housemates are, whoever it is. This is the world that surrounds us, the world that would seek to squeeze us into its mold. And this is the pressure that's coming against us, guys. Because as, we, as we're going to see, we, we have another invitation, another route we can pursue. But a world that doesn't know the creator, well, that's all it's got. So let's go big or go home, right? So the pressure you will find in that community amongst those people is they want you to join in too. Because for them, that's their worship. That's their way to life. That's how they receive joy and gladness. So expect, have your eyes open for that pressure coming against you, seeking to squeeze you into its mold. The question is, do we have anything else to offer? Do we have something better? And the beautiful truth of Jesus' first miracle, our reading tonight, is a loud and resounding yes. See, the context for um, the miracle at the wedding at Cana in Galilee is that Jesus has just come on the scene and there's a lot of noise going around about him that he might be the Messiah, that he might be the promised king. The disciples, the group of them, are beginning to form, beginning to follow. And Nathaniel goes to, to Philip excitedly. Philip to Nathaniel, sorry. And he goes up to him and says, we, follow us. We think we, we found the Messiah. We think we found the king. He is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, this is a brilliant response, really helpful. When Nathaniel looks at him, almost can't believe it, he says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? 
And you see, that's, I think, the reality that we live in today. I think the world would look at the church and the world is wandering around in a drunken stupor and we're wanting to reach out and say, come to Christ, come to receive his gift, come to be filled with his life, his goodness. And the world would look at us through a drunken haze and say, Christianity, can anything good come from there? And in this story, in this miracle, Jesus simply says, yes, yes, it can. And you get it by coming to me. Jesus was at a wedding. And weddings back then were big deals. They went on for even a week, seven days. And so you had to have your supplies lined up. And terrible thing happened at this wedding because they ran out of wine, which was awful. It was a scandal in, in a shame culture. A great embarrassment for the groom who was meant to organize the party, show the bride's family and the father of the bride particularly, I can take care of your daughter. I can organize a party, all right? Leave it to me. And the wine ran out. Huge embarrassment. Scandal. And so Mary acts. She sees what's happening. And she tries, she wants to step in. So she goes to speak to Jesus. He'll, have, he'll, he'll know what to do. She tells him they've run out of wine. Long story short, Jesus chooses to act. And he says, see those six stone water jars, fill them with water. Now, these weren't just any jars. These weren't kind of things you could just bring to the dinner table. These were massive things that they filled. They could contain up to 120 liters, between 80 and 120 liters. This is a five-liter bottle of water. Each jar contained 20 of them, 5, 10, 15, 20 that size. There were six of them this deep. I mean, this was a huge amount of water. And he says, take it out. Take it to the, the party organizer. And it's turned to wine. Delicious wine, the most delicious wine that's ever been drunk. Jesus transformed over 600 liters of water into wine. Now, let me ask you, you're at this party. You hear that he's doing this. You see what's going on. And you see how much water there is that is now delicious wine. And you know there's a couple of days left at this party. Let me ask you what you're thinking. Are you more excited about the wine? Or are you more excited about the winemaker? What are you looking at? Where are the eyes of your heart set? You see, my concern for us as a church in part, and I guess partly this congregation, and this is the heart of a pastor who loves you, is that there are perhaps too many of us here and too much of the time where, if we're honest, we're more excited about the wine than we are about the winemaker. That we come to church to connect, yeah, to meet with our friends, but we really go over to the pub to be filled. That's where we find our life. That's where we find our joy. And my hope, my prayer tonight is that we can invert the two, that we would leave here more excited about the winemaker and less excited about the wine. 
even though we get to enjoy that too. Does that make sense? You see, even on that day back then when the finest wine ever drunk was consumed, was created, it ran out. It always does. And yet the winemaker went on and is still alive today. There have been those at those party, at that party, that wedding, who would have seen the stash of wine, this, this pile, 120 liters of delicious Chateau Lafitte, whatever it was, 45 BC. And they would have been like, yes, get in. You know, lads, 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 let's get on it. They would have been excited about the wine. And they would have had a great party. They would have had a great wedding. But they would have stumbled home drunk at the end of it, slept it off over the week to come. But there would have been some people who'd have heard what was going on, seen what Jesus was up to, who'd have remained sober and watchful. And when Jesus got up to leave, they'd have also got up, left, and followed him. Which one are you? Where's your heart? Where are you at just now? Because I believe, we believe as a church right now, God has got so much more for us that God wants to meet with each one of us and so set our hearts on fire for him, so fill us afresh with his spirit that there won't be room for anything else, none of the other counterfeits. And this is what the world needs. It needs a people set aside, set apart for him. And when I joined this church a few years ago, I remember hearing Tim say a couple of times in my first six months or so that he'd always had a vision that one day when people would make a plan to meet at the pub, let's say the White Horse, they'd say, okay, see you at the White Horse later. That if the, the person they're speaking to didn't know where that was, then they would describe it by saying, you know, it's the pub near St. Dionys Church. Because this church would be so famous for what God is doing in and amongst us. Isn't that a great vision? If I'm honest, we're some way from it right now. But it is possible. But it's only possible if we truly see who Jesus is, understand him in his glory, and come to him wholeheartedly. If we see that this humble carpenter was actually the creator God, able to transform water into wine. I mean, who does that? Only God. If we see that he was Lord of time, wine is a natural process. Put water, grapes together, give it enough time, it turns into wine. But it takes a long time. Jesus did it in the fraction of a second. This miracle shows that Jesus is the saviour. In the Old Testament, water gets turned into blood in judgment. In the New Testament, water gets turned into wine as a sign of gospel joy, the good news. Jesus later referred to wine being his blood shed on the cross for you, for me, because of his love for us. Blood flowed from his side so that one day in eternity, in the new creation, the new wine will flow into our cups for all ages to come. 
Whilst the world was getting drunk on wine, Jesus took in the Garden of Gethsemane the cup of his Father's wrath and judgment. He said, if, if, if there's a way, Lord, let it pass from me. But if not, I will take it. And he drank it to its dregs out of love for you, out of love for me, out of love for this whole world. This is who Jesus is. This is the winemaker. This is the one we're invited to come to. And if you feel empty tonight, if you want to be filled, then all you need to do is come humbly, recognizing your emptiness, like, like those pots that Jesus filled with water. Come, let him fill you, and let him turn the water of your life into wine. Because that is the promise. That is what's on offer. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I think the world too often hears us just say part one, right? Do not get drunk on wine. And they're like, why not? There's nothing else to do. It works anyway. What are you offering? They hear us say that. Perhaps you've only ever heard that in your Christian life. Do not get drunk on wine. Okay, it's something else I've got to stop doing. We don't move on to part two of the sentence. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. See, Paul isn't advocating against drunkenness. He's just saying, be drunk on the right stuff. Be drunk and filled with the Spirit of God. That is our inheritance, guys. Anything less and we are falling short. So I ask you tonight, have you experienced that? Is that something you know in your daily life, in your daily walk? I don't know it enough, but in this season, I am hungry to go after it more. Maybe that's something this Lent season we could commit to go after more. As we lay aside certain things, as we put things down, wouldn't it be great to take something up? To receive more of an awareness, experience of God's Holy Spirit. That's our inheritance. That's what's on offer. That's what the world so desperately needs. How can we do it? Well, Jesus says, anyone who believes in me has the Spirit of God living within them. If you're a Christian tonight, you have the Holy Spirit. He says, streams of living water will bubble up from within you. But the problem is we have this spring of eternal life, of living water, that's meant to flow freely. But it, it gets clogged. It gets blocked up. Things get in the way, rocks and boulders and shopping trolleys and all kinds of nonsense just falls. We stuff it with stuff. Our sin, our unbelief, our hardness, and the waters stop flowing. And I believe tonight God is saying, unblock the spring. Repent. Turn from those things. Put that stuff down. Come back to me. And I will let the rivers of living water flow within you. Rivers of water that I will in turn change to wine. And fill you with life and life in all its fullness. That's our calling, guys. That's our inheritance. Unblock the spring. Secondly, I believe the, call, the Lord is calling us 
to wait on him more. To come to him in faith. That's what waiting on him is. When you have a time with God, when you go to pray, when you go to just sit, be quiet, you are trusting that God, the creator of the universe, is there even though you can't see him. That he will meet with you even though you don't know when. That if you just do your part and wait, he will come. He will renew your strength. We're not bad at waiting. You know, for drinks, let's use the analogy, you, you go for a drink in the pub, we all know what it is to have bar presence, right? You go in there, busy Saturday night, any pub, bar, three, four people deep, you've got to work it, haven't you, to get to the bar? We, sure, we all have our techniques, don't we? You know, you've got to pick, pick your route in. You've got to check out sort of bartender presence. Where am I going to have the best, the best joy? And then you make, you make your line for it. You don't go in square-shouldered. That's a mugs game. You turn side on, and you're edging, and then you're wriggling, and that arm's doing stuff, and the elbow comes in until you can get to the butt, and then you're there. And maybe it's taking you five, ten, maybe it's taking you 15 minutes to get there. And then you, you don't give up there. You work to catch someone's eye. You wait till you get what you went there for. You come back with the goods. Otherwise, your mates are like, you absolute idiot. You've been all that way. You don't even have a drink. Yeah, no, I waited, and then it was fine. I'm fine. But how often do we do that with God? We start well. We lean in. We press in. We wait. And then we call it a day. And we come away with nothing. We come away without having been filled. And God is saying he wants us to increase and improve our bar presence with him. Our spirit presence with him, waiting on him. Ridiculous to go to the bar and come away with nothing. I went to a musical the other night, got free tickets to Wicked, went with Emma, my girlfriend. Interval, I went to get a drink, ice cream, dreaded interval. Went and got in this queue, 15 minutes, I thought plenty of time. Waiting there, 10 minutes to go, lots of people still. Five minutes, getting a little tighter. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, please do take your seats again. Performance will start in three minutes. And then a minute or two later, the performance will start shortly. I'm like, okay. Um, and then another minute or two. I mean, the third warning, like, do please take your seats. The performance is about to start. Still two more. Taking ages. I just had to call it. A d- I was like, I, was em- I walked away. I was embarrassed. I was like, can anyone, <laughs> please don't look at me. I'm embarrassed. I'm coming away with nothing. I went back and was like, what? You absolute clown. You don't queue, you don't wait to come away with nothing. God's promise is so much more for us. It's that when we come to him, he will fill us. He will meet with us. And that's what we so desperately need. You see, the truth is that the true wine of life isn't served in a pub. It's not available in a bottle. You can't put it in a glass. Because the wine is God himself. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. Poured out by God. And it's poured out by him when we come to Jesus Christ. And when we do, when we take our eyes off the wine and set them wholly and purely on the winemaker, when we don't pursue drunkenness but instead seek to be filled with the Spirit, then we will truly see God move. And then the white horse better look out. Amen? Why don't we stand together?